thank you, Lord, for your attention, for your eyes, for being locked in on us, for wanting us and wanting more of us and having open arms and unconditional love to receive us piece by piece that we release to you, Lord. I thank you for your patience, for your mercy, for your kindness, for your love, for your presence right now, Lord. Thank you for being here and covering us with your Holy Spirit. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Um, <clears throat> was that a new song? Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe the youth is in the back by the time we get to that song. Oh, youth. We're in here today. That was another announcement. Youth. This, I sent a text to most of your parents. Some of your parents, I don't have your cell phone number, so I'll have to get those. But Wednesday after service, we're going to meet at Rolling Pin. Look, Noelle was already at, she's like, Rolling Pin? Yeah, we're going to meet at Rolling Pin Donuts. Uh, well, let's just say 8 o'clock, because service is done at like 7.30-ish. Ish. Let's say 8 o'clock. We'll meet at 8 o'clock at Rolling Pin after service on Wednesday. Even if you're not young, if you're not young, you can meet at Rolling Pin. We'll be there at 8 after service. So <clears throat> there's this concept that I was having this conversation with the Lord. Um, and he just started to explain. There, there's a, you guys know the story of Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, you know? Yes, yeah. And I always used to read this story like, man, God gave Joseph this vision, this prophetic vision. And all he had to do was just sit with it until he became the person to carry that vision. But he didn't. He didn't sit with that vision. He started functioning in that vision right away. Like, oh, my gosh, I got this vision from the Lord. You guys are all going to bow to me. It's going to be amazing. Oh, okay. And, like, based on where he was at the time, he didn't line up with God's vision. There's a word right there that he didn't line up with God's vision. He was not ripe or in his fullness yet. A lot of times we look and go like, oh, <clears throat> this vision, this prophecy, it just doesn't line up yet. No, God is infinite. He is forever. You don't line up yet. And I used to think like, man, if, if he could have just held that, he would have become the person that could have carried out the vision. But I'm in this conversation with the Lord. He's like, you know, he had to go through everything he went through to become the person. You can't become the person without going through this stuff. In Galatians 4, uh, verse 1. This is a conversation about the movement basically from slave to disciple to son. And really, in our beginning, we're born as a son or daughter. You're just born and you start as a son or a daughter, but you start with this immaturity, this unknowing of who you are. So you start in the very place that you need to be. You just don't have it in you to be what you are. And so we have to go through this process of becoming a slave and then a disciple 
and then a son. Galatians 4, 1 says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave. We're born into this, this thing that God chose us before he even created us. But we don't know where we are, so we function as a slave. As long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. You can't skip ahead because God has to appoint the time for you to have that understanding. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. It's just nature. We're functioning in nature in the beginning. Some people say flesh, some people say carnal, some people say carnal and like, oh my gosh, carnal is so bad. Carnal just means flesh. Some people won't even eat carne asada because it sounds too close to carnal. They won't even eat carnal Sanders because it's just a conversation, you guys. Like you could just relax a little bit. But we get like that. We do. <gasps> carnal. Carnal just means flesh. It means the natural thing. It's nature. It's actually the animalistic place. You just do what the world gives you. In that beginning place, in slavery, you're really just trying to survive. As a slave, you're trying to survive. So I focus on what I need to eat, to be clothed, to have a roof over my head, to make sure that my little circle is taken care of. And if anybody comes against, or if I perceive you to come against, I will snap at you. Why? Because I'm doing everything I can to survive. It's what a dog would do. And you don't hate a dog for snapping at you when you try to reach for his food. That's the natural thing that would happen. And so here, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. The natural things that happen is what we're, we're tied to. That's the expectation that that is how we are living because that is what it's like to be in this place of slavery. I always go, and I'll go back and forth, but I always go to the Jewish people being enslaved by Egypt because it's one of the most in-depth pieces that we get about the journey out and all of that. But their survival, they're just trying to eat. Oh, man, life is so hard and it got harder because now they took away the straw. We're supposed to make bricks and what, you know, like make bricks, leave. What do you, they can't leave because they're tied to that place. They're just trying to survive. And in survival, if, if you make bricks, that's what you're going to do. You're going to make bricks. If you're in a job that you should no longer be in, but you can't see that. And you're going, I just have to show up at work. I just have to show up and work. Yeah, but there are other things. You're called to greater things. I've seen this for you. A lot of times we can't leave that place because we are bound, we are tied to that place. In slavery, we, we tend to lean on our idea of religion and of God kind of in a superstitious way and in an idea, um, ideological way, a hypothetical. God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. Like those pieces that we get, 
about superstitions. Superstitions, and a lot of times we go like, oh, no, I'm a Christian. I'm not superstitious. Like, most of the superstitions came from Christians. The superstition that we, like, oh, I spilled the salt, throw it over. That's for Lot's wife. That's where that came from. Oh, don't go under a ladder. Oh, because it's bad luck. Why? Because the ladder's like this, and it forms a triangle, and if you go through the ladder, you're breaking the Trinity. You know that's, that's where that came from? Oh, I'm going to have a good day, knock on wood. Which was originally rubbed the wood. It was a rub of the wood of the cross. If I could just get a little more blessing that's right there in the cross, I could just rub it and then I'll get the essence of Jesus. Jesus is not there, but we've created a superstition. That's why, like, you know the Rio de Janeiro Jesus? You might not have recognized this, but so Now, you saw him? You saw him? Who's this guy? Oh, oh that, okay. You know he's, his toes are missing because so many people fly there and rub his feet to try to get something out of it? You know, we've rubbed away Jesus' toes or whoever is that guy is. I don't, I don't think Jesus looked like that, but whatever. The superstition. In the beginning, where there's slavery, where we're bound to so many things, we just then go like, oh, if I could just not step on a crack, I won't break my mother's back. If I could just... I love the Lord. You could be in slavery and love the Lord. You absolutely love the Lord and you're tied to things that are not him. You're carrying things that are not his. That's what slavery is. If we can get to the place where we start to realize that whatever's happening in your little tiny bubble is not the whole world. That's where we start to prepare our minds to get out of slavery, where we start to see like, wait a minute, there's more to this world than Egypt. There's more to this world than Camarillo. <gasps> but we have the outlets. We have good weather. What? I watched the news and that would never happen here. You know when the end time's coming, Camarillo's not going to have this weather? All right, let me start, stop, because people are going to get so offended. Like, <gasps> revelations did not say it would be more than 74 degrees in Camarillo. I rebuke you, PD. All right. All right. When we get to the place where we start to prepare our minds to leave slavery, we start to realize that there are so many things that are larger than us and our little bubble. And we start to go, wait, I, I actually don't have to be tied to that? Huh. It's when you start to leave your culture is when you start to move from slavery into being a disciple. Some of us, most of us, still hold pieces of slavery while we're disciples. Because we won't let go of our culture. You know a little bonus word? Culture is from the same word as cult. <gasps> I'm not in a cult. People in a cult, they wear weird things. People in a cult, they talk funny. Blessings to you, brethren. Hello, brother. Sound like you're in a cult. Every culture is a cult. It is. We've just applied this negative idea of like the word cult. No, 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 I'm not in a cult. I have a Christian culture. Mm-hmm, whatever. 
when you start to give up your natural culture and start to receive Christ's culture is when you start to move out of slavery into discipleship because disciple is the same word for discipline. And that doesn't mean spankings. I wish my parents knew that when I was younger. I'm like, discipline doesn't mean spankings. They didn't work. It's my superpower. Um, Moving into this idea where I go, I have to discipline myself. Because there's a certain way I'm living now, but there's a certain way that I want to live. There's a version of me that that exists right now, but who I want to be is right there. And if I could discipline myself, that's where I start to move out of slavery. But when I moved here um, from Northern California, I moved out here and it was a culture shock. It's definitely a culture shock to move to Ventura County. And everything in me, the teenager that was in me, it's like, I have two years, and as soon as I'm 18, I'm moving back home. Because this was not my culture. And I refused to let go of my culture. So every opportunity, oh, we're going to see the family. Yes, I'm going home. And then I could breathe at home. I felt like myself in the Bay Area. And then I come back here and I'm like, oh, I gotta deal with other people's culture. This is so weird, I hate this place. You're laughing at me. That is the honest truth. Like, I was so somewhere else. Culturally, as far as ethnicity, like in the Bay Area, everybody is your neighbor. Everybody. Like this guy is from Tonga and you have to go like, Google, where is Tonga? Right? Oh, this person is like, I'm not Mexican, I'm from Honduras. I'm like, what's, what's Honduras? Every person is, and then out here, I moved out here and I went to Westlake High School. I'm like, why are you wearing swimming trunks at school? These are board shorts, I don't know what that means. You have swimming trunks and flip-flops on. Did you come from the beach? No, but I'm gonna go to the beach after. Well, get dressed for the beach after. Why are you at school like this? This dude is weird. I never met somebody who surfed. That was for TV. So it it was a lot. It wasn't until, I mean, I was amped. I was ready to like go home. And the honest truth is that I met this girl. I was 17, I met this girl. She's pretty incredible. And I'm like, okay, so I don't think Southern California is that bad. Let me just figure out, (laughs) let me get my bearings. I mean, home is home, but let me just check out what's going on. And she's right there. Uh, You can clap for Noel. You don't have to clap that I didn't go back. The Bay Area is still beautiful, okay? Like, just don't, I mean, clap for us, but not that I, anyway. When you start to leave your culture, it was a process for me to leave my natural culture because I then started to love and enjoy and build a culture here, but at the same time, I wouldn't let go of what I called home. And so I would go home every few months and like, oh, let me flip back to that chapter that I was in when the last time I was here. And then, okay, then I'm back out here. This is also home. So let me flip back to my L.A. Ventura County chapter of my book. And I'm, but you're not two books and you're not two chapters and you're not two people living in two times. Where's your culture? And eventually, I'm like, I can't. That's not home. That's not my culture. Is this my culture? No. No. Jesus is my culture more than any of those places. What does that look like? That looks like 
Jesus says, Peter, come and follow me. And I'll make you a fisher of men. So he's starting somewhere. You're just bound to whatever the natural thing is that you're living in. But we could start there. And if you come with me, take your culture with you until you're comfortable enough to let that go. Start where you are. You can't start where you're not. You can't start with who you aren't because then you're Joseph going like, I got a vision from the Lord and I'm going to act this out. But you're not that person. All Peter could have done was have been Peter. If Jesus came to him and said, Peter, come with me, I'll make you a shepherd. He's like, I don't know about sheep. They're dirty. I got to chase them around. Why do they smell like that? Peter's life was on the boat in the water with the fish. Everything he understood was there. So Jesus grabs him in his natural place and says, start with me right here and I'll walk with you until you start disciplining your life. In the disciple area is where things start to get good. Because we have our tools. Man, we have our tools. In the disciple area, it's when you start to read scripture. It's when you start to become a community, when you start to activate your idea, your identity, your place in the body. As Christians, we say the body or the kingdom is community, it's connectivity. And as a slave, it's really hard to see that and understand that because you have to take care of yourself. But when you start to discipline yourself, you move from prayers that are like, God, I need you to do this, that, and the other thing for me, for me, for me. I need healing. I need money. I need focus on me. I'm the slave and I'm dying. I'm struggling. God, you have to come here and do everything for me. When you become a disciple, you step out of your little tiny bubble and you realize there are other people in other places. And so I'm a disciple connected to other disciples and we're disciplining ourselves to function like Christ in the disciple places. When we get our tools, well, we start to understand the blood, the power of the cross, where we start to, it's like walking five miles to work. And then you get wheels and wheels are tools. And then you start driving 20 miles and you're like, I never knew I could make it 20 miles in a day. Well, you couldn't before your tools. There's a lot of places you can't go with the Lord without being equipped. Without picking up your tools and there's nothing wrong with a relationship with God, because the whole point is about relationship with God. But if you if you function in a relationship without tools, it's just very difficult. You could do it. I could have a relationship with my wife without tools. It would just be really hard to not like I can't write a letter. I can't use my phone to get to you. I can't use my car. So we're very limited on our relationship. It's still a relationship, we're just limited. It's extremely difficult to thrive without the right tools. Our worship music is a tool. The disciple place is so good, most of us get stuck here as a disciple. And I say stuck because we're called to be sons. But the difference between a slave and a disciple is so drastic. You're like, whoa, I'm born again. I'm resurrected. This is all I need. This is everything. It's so much more than what we've experienced as a slave being bound that we go, oh, there's so much action here. 
that as a slave, all I'm doing is praying about myself or all I'm doing is like, I know that I love the Lord and that he loves me. Where's the action? Oh, there's no action. I just know it. So we move into the disciple place and there's action. There's prayer. And there's gifts of the spirit. There's signs and wonders and there's memorizing scripture and there's like understanding concepts and all these things you're like man this is everything you know a lot of us as disciples start to worship our tools where what's what we do you know how many times i've worshiped the cross I've worshiped the cross. The cross has not, the cross is not Jesus. The cross is a tool that Jesus used so that he could die and come back. The power is not the cross, the power is Christ. So when we go, oh, I just, the cross, the cross, the power of Christ compels you, and you hold the cross or whatever, you know what I mean? Sorry, if you got that reference, then you had an equally spicy childhood, and the prayer rooms are back there. Big Rich will be back there with a big cross, and he'll get you. The cross is great. It's a tool supposed to be used to advance us, but it's not for our worship to worship the cross. You know, Jesus, realistically, if he wanted to die, he could have done it anyway. If it was a noose, we would all be wearing gold nooses. Jesus was shot and he was resurrected and there's little tiny handguns on our necklaces. And we're going, bang, bang, the power of Christ compels you. That's a tool, and it was incredible, and it is incredible, but that's not Jesus. I'm here to worship Jesus. How can I be a son to, a, to wood? All through scripture, God is showing up and going, your deities are made of wood and stones. Ask your deity to show up, and then I'll show up and light your deity on fire because it's made of wood. And we're like, yeah, I worship this wood. It's different. It's acacia. No, it's like, <laughs> sorry, sorry. People are like, what's acacia? All right, it's wood. Music is a tool. Music is not worship. Music is a tool. And if you worship the music, you're missing it. You've fallen in love with your tool and you have a relationship with your tool. And if after you die, there's a Home Depot, you're gonna be great because you're going right to it. Am I not that funny today? I don't know, it's crazy. It's crazy, Becky appreciates me, thank you. Maybe because I left a pack of open gummies right there. Maybe that's why Becky's like, hey, man. Oh, it's the shirt. Oh, okay. Thank you. These are not, these are not puka shells. Thank you. These are acacia. <laughs> nice. Ooh. Ooh. Hecklers. All right. These are Buddhist prayer beads. Who said seriously? Yeah, yeah. I just let it sit for a minute. Agitate your spirit. So we're in Thailand and we're doing the things that tourists do. Like get on some boat and there's like a, a lip syncing saxophone player. It was crazy. I'm like, what is going on right now? He's like, I'm like, oh Jesus. In the world right now, I'm stuck on a boat for four hours 
with this food that I can't eat and this saxophone guy. So we get off and there's a tourist little area and there's necklaces and beads and stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, wooden beads. I love wooden beads. I want to get these. And our tour guys, he's like, mm, I don't know about that because these are all tourist attractions, but you don't know who made your beads. And a lot of times they make them for prayer. And so you got to be careful. Like, oh, that's cool. My God invented prayer. I don't pray to Buddha. Bonus word, you know that the guy, his name was not Buddha, and he was not, um, he was not, uh, he, was, he was a different proportion. I'm trying to be politically correct. I mean, this is cancel culture out here, you know what I'm saying? He's, so he was a different proportion, <clears throat> this guy that they dubbed Buddha. Do you know that in the writings, the Buddhist teachings, he said to reach enlightenment, which is the ultimate Buddhist thing, to reach enlightenment, perfection. To reach enlightenment, the only way that it can be done is someone of perfection would have to come first and do it so that we have a way to access perfection. <gasps> what? Jesus has always existed and could be downloading things to other people? That's crazy. And so I bought these beads, and then I walk around, and people go, this is, I bought these ones, I think it was 2013. No, it might have been 2016. And people go, oh my gosh, nice beads. Thank you. I was in Thailand because we go there for Jesus, and there are so many people that have come to know Jesus. Do you know how many? Probably 60. Probably somewhere 60 to 70 conversations about Jesus because of these beads and because the scripture that says you can eat meat sacrificed to an idol and it will not hurt you. That means that I could go to Avatar the Blue People and they're plugged into that tree and they're going like, hula la la, hula la. And I could grab the fruit off of that tree and put it on my yogurt as a parfait, eat it, and nothing is going to happen to me because Jesus. Not because how powerful their tree is or how powerful my tree is, the cross. Tool, tool, tool. Music is not worship. Worship is worship. Are you worthy, Lord? What are you worth, ship? Let me show you what you're worth to me personally. Because the music, most of the music that we sing is somebody else's testimony that we go, I kind of agree with that. I'll take that. It's all right there. David wrote most of that in a cave in a cave. Do you think he actually had a flute in that cave? No. But he's like, mm, this is for the horn section later. You know what? Drummers, play this. And then he's like in the cave, just harmonizing with himself, just bouncing echoes off and going, I'm so dedicated to you, Lord. That's what worship looks like. What if I'm a bad singer? Your notes have nothing to do with worship. It's your heart and your spirit. Because you can worship and say no words. Worship is happening, the music part, and you could just place your heart where it's supposed to be with the Lord and you start weeping and you never said anything. That's another word that I'm going to get into for summer camp when we have summer camp, August 14th to the 17th. Plug. So there's, you can worship and have no words. So we've got to get out of, oh, man, this is, this is everything. Worship. I, oh, I don't know how to talk to Jesus if I don't hear. Oh, my, I don't know. I don't know if Stephanie Gretzinger is not here. I don't know what to do. No? She's from Bethel. Okay, bye. All right. All my Christian references are like, what are you guys talking about? All right.
I didn't know that I couldn't make a Stephanie. Now I know, I, there's no Stephanie Gretzinger reference. All right, we are CEOs, yeah. You know what a CEO is? Yeah, Christ, uh, church on, what is it, Christmas and Easter only. Too soon? All right. Um, John 8.33 says, oh, I forget, I have to wait. John 8.33. So as disciples, we can definitely function in a place where we forget where we're going because where we are is so much bigger than where we've been. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. Lie, how can you say you will be made free? Pause right there. Abraham's descendants have absolutely been in bondage over and over and over. It's so repetitious, actually, when you read the scripture. I'm like, which time is this? I don't even remember this one. We get there in our discipleship. We get there like, I would never be bound. I would never be tied to... I would never drink or smoke or use a curse word or be angry or wear shorts. I was going to wear shorts today uh, to bother everybody. How many times have you seen somebody in shorts preach the gospel? I was going to wear shorts and flip-flops and I was going to have an umbrella open just to get on everybody's nerves like, ah, I can't focus because there's an open umbrella in here. That guy has sandals on. Jesus had sandals on. Who was wearing pants in the Bible? Should have came in Pastor Brian's kilt. It would have ruined all of you. Uh, Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. When we sin and when we focus on sin, we tie ourselves to that sin. You're a slave when you tie yourself to something. You're bound. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. So we're disciples jumping around knowing everything, right? Experiencing everything, having manifestations of Holy Spirit shooting lasers through our fingers or whatever it is that you guys do in the prayer rooms on Tuesdays. Pew, pew, pew. I don't know. Like all the amazing things that a disciple would do. Go out. Lay hands on the sick. Raise the dead. All the things that we read in scripture. I'm like, oh my gosh, exactly. That's what I'm trying to be. It's good. And then they say, well, we cast demons out in your name. And Jesus says, depart from me, for I never knew you. How could you have never known me, but I discipline my life to do the things that you're doing? Because we get so excited that we're not slaves, that we're disciples, that we stay as disciples. Jesus was so passionate about understanding this that after he died and resurrected, he came back so he could keep going to his disciples until they became sons. 
The difference between Peter, who cut off the guy's ear, who was, getting, who was arresting Jesus, and Peter, who spoke in tongues and everybody understood in their own language, the difference was about a month and a half. That's not, a month and a half happens by accident. That's six weekends. That's, <laughs> we could accidentally do that. We just did. And we have no idea what we did six weeks ago. The difference between Peter functioning right here, cutting off the ear, and Peter functioning right here in a level of boldness where he starts preaching the gospel and people are going, oh, they're probably just drunk. That same dude was denying Jesus over here, but gets confronted that they're probably just drunk. And he's like, we're not drunk. It's too early for that. Anyway, and he just keeps going. What's the difference? 40 days? No, you can't get, you can't do any. I tried. You can't get abs in 40 days. You can't. I tried. It didn't work. So I just moved from that bondage of abs. And I was made free to rolling pin on Wednesdays. <laughs> Preach. Hallelujah. You know, around 9.30, 10 p.m. is where they have the fresh raised glaze, and you don't even really bite them. You kind of put them close to your face, and they start to download into your flesh. And I'm like, what is going on? Oh, my gosh. I feel money signs coming out of my pocket going right into my dentist right there on L.A. Ave. He's, the dentist is just collecting because this is so good. It's just like, and it just, you're welcome, Chris. So don't worship the tools. <sighs> you need all of the pieces, though. When you start to lean into sonship out of discipleship, <clears throat> the example that came to mind was setting the table. You know how to set the table? That's an old world trick. You know how to set the table? I set the table. As a slave, you set the table because you're supposed to, and if you don't, there's a consequence. As a disciple, you have repetitively taught yourself what to do and you set the table because you believe in repetition and you believe in doing a good job. As a son, you set the table because your dad's coming home with dinner. And if I don't set the table, he's gonna to have to. Why wouldn't I set the table? So I set the table because I love my dad but I, I know how to set the table because I've been a disciple. I chose to be repetitious and grow and change because when I was a slave and I was just doing what was right or wrong, I was doing the thing to avoid consequence, and I go, I'm going to keep doing this so repetitiously that it's the, the focus on my mind and my heart is not the consequence. That transition, you need to go through the process of being a slave, to being a disciple, to being a son. You need all of it because... We fall into a different religious thing when we're a disciple. It's falling in love with the tools and it's falling in love with our actions and it's falling in love with the rules. The, the scripture itself can become law. Even if you don't have law as a slave, you're given law. Do this or I'll beat you. Oh, I'm just gonna do it because I don't wanna get beat. There's law in there somewhere. But as a disciple, you go, man, I understand all these scriptures, the concepts, and now this becomes my law. All the ideas of Jesus have become law. And in the beginning, in the garden, there was the tree of life. 
and the knowledge of right and wrong. The knowledge of law. The knowledge knowing good and evil is law. So in the beginning was Christ or law. On our journey, we could easily learn about Christ and the about becomes law and that's still not enough. But we need the process. And it's not even like, oh man, when you hit 65, you get to retire and become a son. It's not even one, it's not linear like that. It's also not like, oh, I am fully a son. There's always things about where you are that there's other parts of you that are in different seasons. We love the part where Peter's shadow heals people. We love the part where like, oh my gosh, and then Peter went to jail, and then an angel showed up and just broke him out of jail, and we love the part where we can get to the end. We, everybody wants a six pack. We love that part of Christianity. Like, I'm a six-pack Christian. I love that part at the end. You know what part is real life I don't love? Going to jail. <laughs> like, who wants to go to jail? Nobody wants to go to jail. That sounds horrible. You know, with Paul, God told Paul, hey, you're getting ready to get arrested. And when you do, they're going to put you on a boat and ship you this way. But when they do, the boat is going to crash. That's enough information for me to move. Why would I even? I'm not even going to be anywhere near water. Where's Petey? I oh, don't Somewhere. Somewhere right in the middle of America. Yee-hoo! Ding! Why? Because you know what? I'm not crashing in a boat. <laughs> nope. Paul's like, oh, okay. So I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to crash in this boat. I'm not going to run when I crash. That's my other option. Okay, so if I do, I do all this and then the boat crashes, I'm going to start working on my swimming right now. The boat crashes. I'm going to do this. It's very Olympic. There's a Greek joke in there somewhere. You can, you can keep it. Um, he let himself get arrested and then crashed and waited for them to get themselves together and go to prison. That's crazy. That's sonship. Because he wasn't thinking about himself. He was no longer thinking about well, here, I've done all the repetitious things, so I would never end up in prison. Why? Because I have the beads. Hail Mary. It's bothered you again. Sorry. I'll leave it. He was functioning a level of sonship. Like, oh, wait. Would I do that? If Jesus was like, hey, so here's what's going to happen. You're going to preach the gospel. Then they're going to take you to court. They're going to find nothing wrong, but they're going to beat you anyway and put you in jail. Oh. Well, can we pick God? Like, can you beat me or put me in jail? This is a lot, Lord. This is. And this is what Peter did. And then. It says that when, when the angel released him from prison, from jail, he ran right back to the community, to the body, because he's not self-seeking, because he's going, I need, I'm part of the team. I'm part of the family. I have to go back into the family. Wait a minute, I got to run? Where am I going to run? Right back into the family, because I'm a son. They didn't even answer. They're like, can you keep it down? Keep knocking? We're trying to pray for Peter. 
He's like, it is Peter. Peter, Peter who? That move to sonship is the fulfillment of when Joseph started as a son, but he couldn't hold that place in Galatians 4 when it says, like, you start as a son, but if you're a child, you're the same as a slave because you don't know who you are. And then Joseph had to become a slave and get good at it and allow that fulfillment to make him a good, well, his story went to a prisoner, but then when it was time for him to be a disciple, to be a disciplined person, he became the head. There was nobody higher than him in Egypt except the Pharaoh. What a disciplined life. That the fulfillment is when his family came He was a full son. He saw the vision come to pass where they bowed to him. And his answer was like, no, 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 get up. Don't bow to me. I love you too much. Dad, that honor I give to you. That sonship looks very different. Because what... What would happen if heaven was off the table? A lot of us will go like, wait, my my being tied to this heaven thing is keeping me here. Wait, there is no heaven afterward? I'm going to Mardi Gras. You guys know what Mardi Gras is? from Christians? It is. We're so bothered. There's so much stuff that we do that is so superstitious or that is so slave mentality, so you function in Christian superstition or so disciple mentality that you function in the religious part where you did all the right things. I said Shandala five times. But Jesus, you better hurry up because I got to go to lunch. Sonship looks different. It's this complete place of honor. Like what if heaven was not even on the table? What if there's no option? Would you still love Jesus the way you do? Would you still dedicate your life to him? Would you still use your whole life to walk through this relationship with him? Because in a relationship, in a marriage, there's no guarantee. We have no idea how we're going to interact with each other in heaven as far as you and I. Friendships, marriages, your kids. What if I don't have a relationship with them? Well, then I'm going to enjoy my relationship now. I'm going to enjoy my marriage right now. I'm going to enjoy my kids for as long as I can. This is my best friend. I love them. I'm going to spend time with them because what if I don't spend time with them in heaven? Okay, so if heaven was off the table, I'm not saying that it is. So if that's what you take from this, God bless you. If heaven was off the table, are you going to go, I'm going to use every minute that I have left to love Jesus because I don't have enough time. That is relationship. That's sonship. That's family. You know, when you leave a family member and you got to get on a plane, it's different now, TSA, but like, It used to be you walked them all the way up to the gate, you hugged each other, six more hugs, you hold each other's fingers until you're like, bye, oh my gosh, bye, I'm gonna miss you, and tears. And then you're on the plane in that little tiny window looking at them like, bye to you too, bye, I love you, I love you, right? LAX now is like, move, you cannot stay here, no parking, do not get out of your car, like, oh, okay, oh. Bye, I love you. No tears, right? You want tears? Go to Maine. Sorry, it's just like it's much more lax. All right, so anyway. 
When we have that longing for someone, that's real relationship. When we go, man, I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to miss you. You're going to be back in a week. You're just going to college. I know, but they're going to college in a different county. And I've never been with my daughter. Oh, my God. Like, oh, my gosh. You got to buy every comforter at Target? All right, whatever, go. <laughs> Do you have that longing for Jesus? You know, Jesus describes fasting like mourning. Why will my disciples mourn when I'm right here? If you've never mourned the loss of someone, it's like they can't get off of your mind because you miss them so much, because it hurts so much, because they're gone, and you can't even think about eating. People are like, hey, have you eaten? I don't know. I don't know, because I can't eat right now because all I can do is focus on this person that I want to be so close to. Jesus is talking about a relationship that's something else. That's like, I, when, if you're going to fast, it's because you need me and you miss me so much. That's sonship. That's not discipleship because I'm not weeping over my teachers. When I hear about teachers passing away, I'm like, dang, that's crazy. It is crazy. It is sad. But I'm not so connected that it causes mourning. If I feel without Jesus, it should be like, hold on. I can't even deal. That's sonship. We have to be able to get past the disciple part, which is good. We're absolutely blessed to have discipleship. We're absolutely blessed to have the tools that we have. I can't imagine, Diana and I were talking about this. I can't even imagine what it's like to just walk your relationship with Jesus, like with Abraham. It's just you and God. Like, man, he talked to me. It was like five years ago. Oh, my gosh. I hope that was what I heard. Maybe the sheep milk went bad and I was just tripping. Maybe God didn't really say that. Do they drink sheep milk? I don't know. You are based on your own individual experience with God, which can be very limiting. Discipleship allows you testimony. It allows you scripture. It allows you to lean on who Christ is in other people. And you go, whoa, he's so much bigger than my little bubble. Let's move. We absolutely need this in order to move out and have the fulfilled discipleship in us so that we can function as sons. We have to go back to the place where like, this is just, I do what I do out of love. Everywhere. All the time. I hurt my back the other day. It says, it's a lifestyle. So I hurt my back the other day. I'm like, oh man, this is horrible because you know, you hurt your back and then you stand up and you'll have to go like, yeah, cool. Like, <laughs> but who I am normally, if I see a car pulled off to the road with hazards on, I'm going to pull off, well, not off to the side, like if they're stuck in the street. I just pull over and I push their car with them because why not? And if they're already pulled to the side, don't go. That's how a horror movie starts. Like, don't just, they have to clearly be in a lane, stressed out, like, right. So the other day, I'm, I see this car stuck in the middle. It's on LA Ave. So there's like three lanes, three lanes. This is chaos. I'm like, oh my gosh, this dude is making me miss the green. Oh, your hazards are on in front of me. So I was going around him to like, this guy's like texting or something. And I look and he's, he's like, oh, sorry, the car, it just stopped. It won't start. I'm like, 
oh, okay. So I go to pull over. I'm like, okay, God, you got to do something because my back is not, how am I going to push this car? I'm not even in the right shoes to do this, Lord. But I'm going to do this anyway, and we'll figure it out. Even if he has to push and I have to steer. I've never done that to another person's car. It's very intimate to say, get out of your driver's seat, and I'm going to steer for you. Like, And so I try to go from all the way middle lane to this side to pull over to help them. And all these people are like, bam, 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 bam. Fill in the blank. You know what I'm saying? Ah, Watch where you're going. I'm like, watch where I'm clearly. What about this guy? He's got his hazards on. You know something's going on, but they don't. And they're yelling at me. I'm like, okay, God, I got this. Pull over. Okay, let's go push this car. And I turn around. Two other cars had already pulled over, and they're getting the car. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. But I was willing to operate in some kind of love, even if it wasn't much. Because that's what sonship looks like. This relationship, everything is relationship. But I'll close on this is that when you're in a relationship, any relationship, you're in a relationship with a person, but you're actually in a relationship with the way that they see themselves. And they are in a relationship with the way that you see yourself. All this stuff about a son or a slave or a disciple is what you carry. God can reveal it to you, but it's based on you, whether or not you function as Jacob, the one who takes, or you function as Israel, God's people. You're blessed and highly favored. I don't feel blessed and highly favored. Like, it, I can't. I could give you every scripture. There are people that walked with Jesus that did not know him. How could that be? Because it's the way you see yourself. That I'm trying to get something out of Jesus. And this is all about me and I'm a slave. I'm trying to memorize Jesus so I can become him because I'm a disciple and I could be just as good as he. Not that you say that out loud, but like. Relationship is about how you see yourself as well. Because that Galatians 4 scripture says that they were sons. They just didn't know anything. So they function as slaves. So I have to get to the place where I'm going, God, who am I? Wait a minute. Am I seeing myself the way you see me or through my experience? Through my hardship? Am I reading this scripture going, ah, found it. That's who I am. I'm Jonah. You know, the Bible's not about you. The Bible's not about you. You could buy self-help books at the gas station. The Bible is about Jesus. When you come to understand him, you can enter into relationship with him. It's good if you look at the scripture and you go, oh, I could actually learn from that and become a better person. Yeah, yeah, that's in discipleship somewhere. But the Bible is actually not about you. Moses, the story that we read is not even about Moses. It's about Jesus. Abraham is incredible, kind of. I mean, he tried to kill his own son. I'm just kidding. But like. It's about Jesus. The parts where Jesus showed up pre-incarnate, it's about Jesus. Noah is about the Lord. All things were created by him, for him, and through him. This Bible is about Jesus. How do I fall in love with you? And make sure that my mind is not so focused on myself that I'm in this relationship as a spiritual narcissist. Dang, there were no amens there. All right. Some of us have a spiritual narcolepsy, so our Jesus. What? Bless you, brethren. What? All right.
Galatians 4, 4 through 6, and I'm out of here. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, that's the nature, born under the law. Hmm, it's like a disciple. To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent you forth has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You are a son. You are a daughter. And when you receive it and start to walk in it and you're not an outcast and you're not less than and you're not whatever you've been through and you're not what anybody else tells you you are. Because Jesus, who I read about in this scripture, who is redeeming and restoring. And not only did he resurrect, he brings life to the dead places that are in us as well. If I believe who Jesus says that I am, then I'm a son. And I have to stop listening to the other voices that continue to keep me as a slave or as a disciple. Sometimes that voice is my own voice. Sometimes I have to be my own best preacher to preach the gospel out loud over myself so that the sound that comes out of my mouth is Jesus's words instead of my thoughts and my words. Lord. We all want to be yours. And you've given us a place to be adopted by you. You've given us a place to be sons and daughters, to be in your family. We want to discipline our lives, but not stay as disciples. We don't want the consequences, but we don't want to stay as slaves, Lord. We don't want to be tied down. We want to be free in you and choose you because we love you, Lord. Thank you for your sonship, for our relationship, for your intimacy. Thank you for your love, that it is you, that it covers a multitude of sins. That even if we sin today, even if we leave here and sin, that we don't have to be tied, bound, enslaved to sin, Lord, that we can look to you and your love and be made free. We praise you. We glorify you. We thank you for your freedom. Amen.